Two words, easier and better. Easier and better. Let's all just say that together. Easier and better. Uh, one more time because I don't want you to forget it. Easier and better. When it comes to life, that's what you want. When it comes to life, that's what you're looking for. When it comes to life, that's what I want and that's what I'm looking for. Easier and better. Now, it's okay for us. We feel really good about saying, you know, when it comes to life, we want better, but there's something just un-American. There's something, you know, that doesn't sound very good about saying that we want it easier. But the fact of the matter is the practical truth, the way we live our lives, and really down in our heart of hearts, what we really want, what we're really looking for is easier and better. Uh, we want marriage, but we want it to be easier and better. Uh, we want our friendships to be easier and better. Uh, we want finances, but we want it easier and better. Uh, we want good health, but we want it easier and better. We want this. Uh, this is behind every marketing scheme. This is behind every new app. This is behind every new product that's gonna make life better. And it's gonna make life better because it's making life easier. And because it's making your life easier, then it's better. Uh, and we've been conditioned to think this way. Uh, maybe it's an American thing, maybe it's a post-World War II, 21st century, first world thing, uh, but we just want easier and better. Uh, it's a fact for all of us, it's just the way it is. And, and there seems to be something in all of us that begins to think in terms of easier is always better, and better always means easier. Uh, somewhere along the way, we begin to be conditioned to think in those terms, that when we think about easier, we think that it must be better, and then when we think about better, we think that it must be easier. And we begin to see these two words as synonyms. We begin to see them as synonymous with one another. They both are partners together, and they always travel together. If it's easier, it's better. If it's better, it's easier. And that's just kind of how we live our lives. We don't think about it, and we don't put it to words all that often, and we don't even really feel that good about it. But the fact of the matter is, there's something in you and something in me that always wants to believe that easier is better and better is easier. And there are times when that is true. There are times when that is true. Uh, when easier means better and better means easier. Uh, certain medications have come along, you know, in, in medical advancement. And what used to require surgery can now be treated with medicine. And when it comes to, hey, you can either have a surgery or take a pill. We're gonna opt with the pill. We don't care if it's as big as a bucket, we'll work it down, right? We'll swallow that sucker. If it, if it can save me from surgery, you know what that makes that pill? Better and easier. Uh, pain, pain is tough. Whether it's chronic pain, end of life pain, a pain tied to an injury, whatever it is, pain is tough. But modern science, they've, they've created ways now through medicine. You know, you take a pill and it's easier than better than dealing with the pain. Uh, laughing gas, can I get a witness? Uh, for, for all of you who just hate the dentist like I do, I love dentists, I just don't like dentistry. Uh, uh, I know some really great dentists, but they're a trade. I, I'm just not a fan of it. I found out a couple of years ago that I had my first cavity and I was just destroyed because I, I practiced good oral hygiene my entire life and I had a vision for dying with no cavities. But when left to choose between having a cavity and living and dying without a cavity young, I'll take where I'm at right now. All right, so I, my dentist said, I got, I got bad news, you know, you got a cavity. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought this day would come. Uh, what are we going to do about it? He said, well, I got to fill it. And I said, oh, how does that work? And he said, well, you know, I'm going to come in. I'm going to have to drill around and drill. Ah, uh, so am I going to fill that? Well, no, I'm going to have to numb you. Well, 
How do you numb me? I'm going to put a little needle in, in your gun. Needle in my mouth. I don't like a needle in the cushier parts of my being, much less my gum. Come on, man. And so he said, you know, this is, what's, what's, this is how it's got to be. And so I said, okay. I said, you, you know me. You've heard me preach before, and you, you know how I am with doctors and all things medical. And, you know, I, I love doctors, but I don't like when they come at me with sharp things, and they're going to, like, invade my space, and, and in particular, my skin and my membranes. I don't like that. And so uh, you're going to have to call me in, like, a script to, to give me something to relax, so I'll actually show up that day. <laughs> And he said, okay. He said, I understand. You know, lots of people are like this. And so he called me, you know, in a prescription. He said, be sure to take this, you know, like an hour before you show up, but don't drive uh, to, to the place. Okay, I got that covered. Allison couldn't go that day, so I made one of the staff members go as my support person. And, and so they sat in, in, in the waiting room. They drove me there, and I was sitting there all nervous. And so then I go back in the back. And my dentist says, hey, did you take it? And I said, yeah, I feel pretty relaxed. I'm still a little stressed though. You know, I, I'm still thinking about it too much. And he said, well, hey, come in here. I'm gonna give you a little bit of gas. Said, What's wrong with a whole bunch of gas? Why, why are we stopping with a little bit of gas? He, he says, I'm gonna give you a little bit of gas and then we're gonna go over to the other thing and we're gonna do the deal. And so he, he cut the gas on, put the mask on me. And the only thing I knew to do, I, I was like, I mean, I'm, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna suck like I've never sucked this stuff in before. <laughs> I was trying to get his, I was trying to get like five breaths in one. Like I just finished running a hundred yard dash and I was trying, you know, I was like, I'm going to outsmart this. So by the time I go over, I'm not even sure if I got a shot or not. If I did, I didn't feel it. It was the most amazing experience I've ever had. I'm not going to tell you that I'm in love with dentistry now, but I'm telling you easier and better than the old way of just let me take a plier and pull the sucker out. Sometimes easier is better and sometimes better is easier. Uh, call ahead, Starbucks ordering. Can I get a witness, anybody? Isn't that, isn't that a great thing? No, you don't think so? Okay. Uh, I do, and I'm right, and you're wrong. And, 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 and for no other reason, here in London, people in Williamsburg and Somerset won't, won't know this, but uh, it, it keeps me from getting tempted to just lose my temper with those people who don't understand the right way into the drive through at Starbucks. See? Don't act like you're holier than thou. And so, I, and I, I, I just, I hesitate to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, I, I'm one of those people that if you're kind of, if you're coming in from the wrong way uh, there at the drive-thru, I get, I get my bumper as close to the bumper in front of me as humanly possible because I feel like if I let you in, I am encouraging bad behavior. And so I feel like it is part of my responsibility as a good citizen of our community to not let you in. And so every once in a while it gets to be real awkward because I can see them and they can see me. And then I look at them and I'm like, did they go to the creek? And I'm like, God, I hope not. And, and, and so, you know, uh, that's a great thing. And then, you know, what, uh, indoor plumbing, I mean, that's great. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know what men over 50 would do in the winter. I guess they just froze to death before indoor plumbing came along. I mean, some of y'all don't understand, uh, but that's okay. Uh, you know, Google Maps, Google Maps changed the world. It's great. And now uh, they have a function on there. It lets you know where the police are, you know, speed traps. And of course, obviously, if you're a follower of Jesus, when that alert goes off, that's an alert for you to pray for law enforcement uh, because you're already driving the speed limit and you're asking God to uh, reprimand those who are breaking the law carelessly. And, and, but you've got, you know, your little phone there. Maybe sometimes you stick it in the cup holder. Sometimes you hold it. You know, maybe it comes across the Bluetooth and it tells you where to turn. Uh, back in days, some of you don't even understand. Some of you, you don't even know what this is. This is a map that was printed 
Now, some of you who are a certain age and younger, you, you, you've never seen one of these. You've never held one after the service if you want to come forward and, and, and touch one. You can. But can you imagine trying to drive down the road with one hand and trying to flip through like Magellan uh, in your 2014 edition of the Rand McNally Road Atlas? I mean, it's easier and better. It's better because it's easier, and it's easier because it's better. There are certain things. I asked some of my friends. I said, give me some ideas about what's easier and better and better and easier. And one of them said, you know, an electric wine opener. And I, obviously, we know they're not a Baptist. And, and not that Baptists don't drink wine. They just never admit it. Uh, ba Baptists pretend to know nothing about alcohol. What? You have to open wine? I don't understand. It's okay. Uh, you know, so... Easier and better. There, there are things, certain things, some things, that it's easier because it's better and it's better because it's easier. But here's the thing. If you've lived long at all, if you've experienced much of life at all, you know that when it comes to things in life, like really important things in life, important choices in life, when it comes to things like your marriage or your parenting, when it comes to friendships, when it comes to career, when it comes to finances, when it comes to your future, when it comes to your faith, if you've experienced anything at all in life, you know that this is true. What's easier isn't always better. And what's better isn't always easier. The easier thing is not always the better thing, and the better thing is not always the easier thing. And this cuts against our American sensibilities. This, this cuts against our first world logic. Uh, this is not something that we want to believe is true. And sometimes this cuts against our misinformed theology. We don't want to believe that sometimes harder could be the better thing. That the harder thing could be the better thing. We don't even like the sound of that. What are you talking about? The harder thing could be the better thing. I don't want any part of it because we all want easier and better. But there are moments in life, there are things in life, there are sections of our life, aspects of life, really important parts of our life where the harder thing is the better thing. Now, like I said, we don't like this. We don't want this to be true. Sometimes we pretend that this is not true. And we pretend that it's not true, even though we know in our gut that it is true. We know that it's true. We've experienced that it's true. It's easier to lose than to win, right? Anybody can lose, but not everybody can win. Not everybody wants to pay the price to win. Not everybody wants the blood, sweat, and tears of practice and training. Not everybody wants to do that in the off season. Not everybody wants to get there early and stay late. It's easy to lose. It's a much harder thing to win. It's easy to quit, but it's much more difficult to go the distance. Anybody can quit after the first lap or in the middle of the race or even on the last lap, but it's much harder to actually finish the race. It's easy to draw conclusions about people rather than doing the hard work of actually getting to know them and trying to know who they are for yourself. It's easier to assume something than it is to investigate it and to actually see what is true and what is real and what is not. It's easier to point a finger than it is to look in the mirror. It's just easier to do that. It's easier to be bitter than it is to forgive. It's easier to hate than it is to love. It's easier to be a critic than it is to be an encourager. It's easier to be greedy than it is to be generous. It's easier to be selfish rather than selfless. As a parent, it's easier to let your kids just go do whatever they wanna do, how they wanna do it. It's a much harder thing to discipline them and parent them and lead them it's easy not to do date night. It's easy not to spend time with each other. It's easy not to invest. It's easy not to do the things that you know you need to do for a healthy marriage. It's an easy thing to do. It's a much harder thing to do all the other stuff. 
the fact that what's easier isn't always better and what's better isn't always easier, it's, it's a truth that's uncomfortable and inconvenient. It's just uncomfortable to think about, that the harder thing could be the better thing, and that better doesn't always mean easier. We want easier to be better and better to be easier. We want that to be true, and it scares us a bit that it may not be true. See, some of us, at times in our lives, we forget about this, and we don't think about this, and we're conditioned not to think about this, and we're conditioned to just assume that better means easier and vice versa. There are times in our life when we have confused the two, and because we confused the two and we thought they were the same thing, we made some really poor decisions. And those poor decisions have affected some of the areas that are most important to you. Family, marriage, parenting, finances, your future, and even your faith. So this is a big deal. To know that easier doesn't always mean better and better doesn't always mean to be, doesn't always mean easier. And all of that brings us to Jesus because that's who we've been talking about in this latest series. Now, whether you grew up in church or grew up near a church or you knew some people who were really into church, you know, no matter what your experience is, whether you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, not a follower of Jesus, you know, you're an unbeliever, you undecided, whatever it is, we all, we've all been introduced to some level of Jesus's message uh, of what Christians call the gospel or the good news. And, and oftentimes, you know, the gospel, you know, we try to put it in, in one statement. And, and but really, the gospel is, is the totality of Jesus's message. And, and it's the, the comprehensive consequence of what happened when Jesus died on the cross and his resurrection. But we've all been introduced on some level to the message of Jesus that sounds something like this that Jesus offers us eternal life and a better life. That Jesus came into this world to offer this world eternal life and a better life. Now, before I go any further, I want you to understand something. This is absolutely true. I believe with all of my heart, this is absolutely true. I believe that there are logical reasons to believe that this is absolutely true. Jesus came into this world to offer us eternal life after death. Jesus said, if anyone believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. You know, John 3, 16, you've heard it before. For God so loved the world, he gave his son that whosoever believes on him should not perish, should not die, should not be lost to God, but have everlasting, eternal life. And so we believe as Christians that Jesus came to offer us eternal life. Now, most of us grew up in church and that's what it was all about. That was the name of the game. You know, it was all about missing heaven, going to heaven, you know, missing hell and going to heaven. That, that was it. That was the message. Sunday in, Sunday out, didn't matter what the text was, what the verse was, didn't matter. Don't go to hell, go to heaven. Jesus came so you didn't have to go to hell, go to heaven. Turn or burn, the preacher would say. Don't be a crispy critter. Get in while you still can. You know, anybody. And then they sing 57 verses of just as I am. And, and every, you know, it was just, and you're a logical person. And, and you know, when the, when the choices were clear, hell or heaven, you weren't even really that sure about all the rest of it but just in case I'm going to buy the insurance policy and I'm going to be okay when life is over but the message of Jesus was so much bigger and so much better than eternal life Jesus also said that I've come to give you life to the full and a satisfying extravagant life that overflows type of life Jesus came to give you eternal life after death, and Jesus came to give you and I a better life before death. That's the gospel, but here's what happened. This may have happened in your life. This may have happened in somebody that you know. The message of Jesus will make your life better is often confused with Jesus will make your life easier. 
That's what a lot of people have heard that grew up in church. That's what a lot of people, you know, who gave faith a try once upon a time. They heard that Jesus wants to give you a better life, and that's true, but, but what they heard through their first world ears, what they heard through their American ears, or what they misheard someone say or misunderstood what someone said, when they heard that Jesus will make your life better, they understood that to mean, they heard that to mean, that Jesus will make your life easier. That if you follow Jesus, your marriage will get better and it will get easier. That if you follow Jesus, parenting sons and daughters will get better and it'll get easier. Your finances, better and easier. Your life, better and easier. And then all of a sudden you decided to follow Jesus. You decided, hey, I'm gonna get baptized, I'm gonna take communion, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go all in. And that worked for a while, that worked through childhood, that worked through you know, a period of your adolescence. And then your childhood version of Jesus had an expiration date. It had a shelf life. And that misinformed, misunderstood, misconstrued childhood version of Jesus, sooner or later, it bumped up against your real life. And all of a sudden, when you experienced life the way that life is and pain that's inevitable in life came your way, and all of a sudden you're a follower of Jesus and then you got married, but your, your, your marriage, you know, it didn't feel easier and you weren't even sure it was better. And then all of a sudden, you know, you looked at your life and, and boy, it, it sure as heck didn't seem easier. And so you assumed that it wasn't better. And you, you looked at all these areas of your life and it seemed as though you'd been sold a false bill of goods. And you know what? You had. Because you believed in a version of Jesus that never existed to begin with. You believed in a version of Jesus that supposedly would make your life better and easier. And then when real life happened for you and heartbreak and an unanswered prayer, and somebody you love died too soon, and tragedy, and disappointment, and all of those things, when those things happened in your life and you had to deal with them and they knocked on your door, all of a sudden that version of Jesus had no value to you. And so some of you walked away from that faith. Some of you, because that's what you've believed and that's what you believe, you've been secretly considering walking away from faith because of that belief that Jesus will make your life better and easier. But here's the thing, that Jesus doesn't exist. That Jesus, he's never existed. And you believe in a version of Jesus that has never, ever, ever, ever existed. Because Jesus, he came onto the scene and he gave us the truth even when it was uncomfortable. And he gave us good news even in the face of the reality of life. And, and here's the good news. Life is hard. That's not really good news, but that's just news. And it's not news to you because you know that. Life is hard whether you're a believer or non-believer. Believers have never believed. Followers of Jesus have never believed that faith makes life easier. Read the New Testament. Read the book of Hebrews. Read James. Read Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Read Paul in Romans 8, Romans 7. We never believed that life is easy. So life is hard, but here's the thing. Jesus didn't come to make it easier but he did come to make it better. And for some of us, it seems like a conflict. For some of us, it seems like, well, those two things, both can't be true because we, we are so conditioned to think that easier is better and better is easier. Life is hard. Your life is hard. The person beside of you, the person behind you, the person in front of you, let me tell you, they may look gorgeous, they may look handsome, they may smell like a million bucks. You may saw them come in today and they just have the most gorgeous smile that you've ever seen in your life. 
but their life is hard. Your life is hard. My life is hard. Life is hard. People we love, they get sick and they die. We can't control all of our children's choices. We can't make things happen always. We can't manipulate outcomes. Life is hard. But Jesus didn't come to make it easier. He did, however, come to make it better. And this brings us to a very uncomfortable, inconvenient truth. And it's risky for me to tell you, but I trust you with it. Following Jesus isn't always easy. Let me take it a little step further. Following Jesus is rarely easy. See, they don't, they don't want preachers to give that on the front side of the deal. You know, don't, don't tell them up front. It's like somebody's saying, oh my God, I, I, I got some friends here today and they're not involved. Don't tell them that. I think they already know it. They know you. You'll get it about lunchtime. <laughs> Following Jesus is really easy. But see, we don't want to tell people that. We're afraid that we'll keep people from Jesus. So we try to make it as good as possible. And it's, it's greater than we could ever imagine, but we try to polish it up. And sometimes we try to make it something that it's not. And we try to present a, a form of Jesus that he never claimed to be, all because we want people to sign on the dotted line. But following Jesus is rarely easy. But here's the thing, and this is even better. <laughs> Jesus never said that it would be. Jesus never said that following him would be easy. And that's the rub of the Gospels. The biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read through that, as they record what was happening at a real segment in history in first century Palestine, here are the Jewish people who believe they are God's chosen people. And once upon a time, God had promised them that one day their kingdom would bless all the kingdoms on earth. That one day a Messiah would show up, a savior would show up, a king would show up. And one of the descendants of Abraham would bless the entire world. But yet here they are as the first century opens and as the gospels and the New Testament opens, they are under the oppression of an occupying force, the Roman empire, the greatest empire that had ever been. And there from the city, which was known as the eternal city, was an outpost of the Roman empire. And here are a people, they didn't know what it meant. Land of free, land of the free, home of the brave. They wouldn't even know what that means. They lived at a time when it was tough. It was hard in the first century. There was disease and there was poverty. There was injustice, there was violence. There was the oppressor and they were the oppressed. And it was not easy being them. But they were hoping for a Messiah. And part of the reason that they were hoping for a Messiah is because they believed that once the Messiah would show up, he would make things better. And he would make things better, and in doing so, he would make things easier. That the Messiah would drive out the occupying force of Rome. And in doing so, he would restore freedom and the glory of the kingdom of Israel. And things would be better and easier. But then Jesus shows up and John the Baptist points at him and says, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And people begin to say that he's the Messiah. And Jesus began to refer to himself as the Messiah, except when he opened up his mouth, he didn't sound like a Messiah. His message didn't sound like one of revolution. His message didn't sound like one of political independence. 
It didn't sound like one that was trying to inspire an uprising among the people from the grassroots to overtake Rome and to drive them out. It didn't sound like any of that. It didn't sound anything like a Messiah. So after Jesus was baptized by John, endorsed by the Father, tempted in the wilderness by Satan, after he came out of the wilderness victorious over Satan's temptation, he called his first disciples and Matthew says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, if you grew up in church, this word repent, I mean, it was just, you know, in, in the world that I grew up in, they just shouted it at you. Repent, 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 I say repent. Okay, it was kind of like that. And, and repent just meant you, you, you needed to cry. If you didn't cry, you hadn't repented. I mean, if you came to the altar and you had a smile on your face, you know, the church people, not real. It's not real, you know? So, you know, repent meant, you know, you feel sorry, you feel bad, but this is an intellectual term. This is a logical, reasonable thing. This is about thinking. Repent, and this is what Jesus said. He says, I've come to change the way you think. And that's what's so fascinating about Jesus' life because he would forever change the way that people thought about God, how people thought about sin, how people thought about themselves, how people thought about each other. Jesus said, I've come to change your mind about the things that are most important in life. And I think Jesus would say, I've come to change your mind about what you think a better life is and what you think a better life looks like. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Or as in you know, other places he referred to as the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, you know, the kingdom of Christ. And a kingdom was just the domain where one will and one way held sway. That, that's what a kingdom was. That's what a kingdom is. When it's a fully functioning kingdom, it's where one will and one way holds sway. And that is that person who sits on the throne, the king. And so Jesus said, there is a kingdom that is not of this world that is now beginning to come into this world. There is a kingdom yet to be fulfilled, but there is a kingdom that already is. It is the kingdom where those who follow me begin to live under the rule of God. That's what the kingdom of God is. Being a part of the kingdom of God means that you are under the rule of God. You have submitted to the authority of the king. That Jesus, for Christians, we believe that he is the king over the kingdom. And when we follow Jesus, we become citizens of his kingdom, a kingdom that is not of this world, a kingdom whose values don't reflect the kingdoms and the values of this world. Jesus said, the kingdom of God is where God has authority over you and you submit and I submit to God's authority. And so Jesus, when he would teach, Jesus's teaching was all about the values of this kingdom. Jesus would teach about what life in this kingdom is supposed to look like. And as citizens of this kingdom, there are values that we now subscribe to that oftentimes are in direct competition or direct you know, opposition to the kingdom values of this world. And so Jesus, one day, he's going he's gonna, to you know, pull up a chair, he's going to you know, pull out his plasma, and he's going you know, to preach a sermon. And, and it's perhaps the greatest sermon that's ever been preached. That's how a lot of people refer to it. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason it's called the Sermon on the Mount because it was a sermon that Jesus preached on the Mount. Christians have never been very creative about naming things. And so it was the Sermon on the Mount. And, and so you can read about it in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's also recorded in Luke, but Matthew 5, 6, and 7 seems to be a bit more of an exhaustive account of it. Although it is not a transcription of the sermon. It's basically highlights of the sermon. Um, if you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, you know, uh, meaningfully, uh, with pause, 
and, and inflection, you, you read it in about 30 minutes. Uh, so Jesus probably preached way longer than 30 minutes, and that really encourages me. And uh, so Jesus, he loved to preach for a long time. But here's the thing that most scholars believe. The Sermon on the Mount was really just the talking points of Jesus' life and ministry. These were things that he said over and over and over and over again. I mean, if you showed up on Tuesday and heard Jesus and then showed up again on Friday, he's always hitting the same things because he's talking about the values of the kingdom. He's talking about how we live when we're under the kingship of Jesus, under the lordship of Christ. And so this is how Matthew records it. He says, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. And so he begins to teach them words that we've all heard and sometimes we don't really know what they mean. And, but the people in the first century, Jesus was about to offer a stunning reversal for anything they'd ever heard. Jesus, some of this stuff just seems, seems right to you. And the only reason it seems right to you is because Jesus showed up in history and taught this. The only reason that this seems the right way to live is because Jesus showed up. This was an inversion of values that the world had really never heard of. And Jesus begins to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Who would have ever thought anybody poor in any way could be blessed or happy? And Jesus says, happy are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus said, when you live inside the kingdom of God and you're under the authority of God, let me tell you what type of person you are. You are poor in spirit. He said, well, what does that mean? It means that you are not self-righteous, that you can actually admit that you're not okay. You can actually admit that you're, you're not what you're supposed to be. You're not even what you want to be. And you have no pressure to perform or to pretend otherwise. Middle-class people, look, I'm telling you, just look at the credit card debt in America. Middle-class people love to pretend to be wealthier than they are. Sometimes wealthy people love to pretend to be wealthier than they are. Let me tell you who often is just honest about it, the person who has nothing. They have no pressure to perform, no pressure to pretend. And Jesus said, I'm not talking about physical poverty. I'm talking about something spiritual. I'm talking about a disposition. I'm talking about an attitude. I'm talking about those who can readily admit, you know what? I need help. I need help. I need the grace of God. I can't merit my way into God's kingdom. I can't good my way into God's kingdom because it's not good enough. I don't, I don't meet the standard. I don't even feel the pressure to pretend like I meet the standard. I'm just gonna be honest and say, I don't meet the standard. So the only hope I have is to throw myself upon the grace of God. That's the reason the local church should be the perfect place for imperfect people. Because when people who are not perfect show up, you know what they discover? People who are just like them. Not perfect, screwed up, jacked up, messed up. A lot of baggage under the trunk. Lots of skeletons in the closet. That's us. That's the church. Imperfect people who have been invited into the kingdom, though imperfect, because we follow and have trusted a perfect Savior. And so he goes on. He says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who, whose heart break over what breaks God's heart. That's what he's saying. That when you look around, your heart is broke. You don't get angry. If you're one of those people who get angry at other people's sin, Jesus said, that's not a value of this kingdom. You ever notice there's a lot of angry Christians? You ever notice they mostly get angry at sin they don't struggle with? Whew. That one hurt, right? I mean, we all got the things we pick on, the things that bother us. 
Jesus said, though, when you get this right, you're going to look around and you're going to see what sin does in the lives of other people. You're going to see what sin does in your life. And it's going to break your heart. You're not going to, you're not going to get angry about it. Your, your heart's going to break. And when your heart breaks, compassion is going to come forth. Not judgmental, Pharisee-like type of actions and words. No, your heart's going to be broken. And he goes on, he says, blessed are those who are meek or humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. The merciful? What about the powerful? He's inverting values. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Not, not for those who look good on the outside, but for those who are really good on the inside, healthy on the inside. They will see God because it's intimacy with God that's brought on by purity before God. He's given all these ideas and people are sitting there listening and they, they hear things like, blessed are the peacemaker, for they will be called the children of God. It's like, it's easier not to make peace. It's, it's easier not to be humble. It, it's easier. These things you're talking about, Jesus, they're not easy. They seem harder. And Jesus would say, exactly. But they are better. Blessed are those who are persecuted because they're doing right. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus, persecution, I don't know, I mean, I, I mean, you're Jesus, but I'm thinking persecution doesn't sound easy. He's saying you're right. But if you're being persecuted for doing what is right, that may be harder, but it's better. Jesus goes on, he says, you have heard it said that by people long ago, you should not murder and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. It's like, okay, yeah, I got this one, not a murderer. Woo. Jesus said, but I tell you, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. This is not Jesus from childhood. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka! I mean, who hasn't said Raka to a brother or sister lately? I mean, <laughs> is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus, soft-spoken, tiptoeing through the tulips of life. Jesus, bed of roses, make your life better, make your life easier. Jesus, this, this is what he said. Whew. Jesus said how you feel about someone is just as important as how you treat someone. God isn't just interested in how you treat them. God is interested in how you feel about them. This was brand new. See, church people, we are okay. We only care about how you treat them. And that's why we fake it. Hey, good to see you. Hate their guts. <laughs> Jerk. Jesus said, listen, when it comes to the kingdom, that doesn't work. Because how you feel about them and how you treat them, one and the same. One and the same. He goes on, he says, Therefore, if you're offering a gift at the altar and you remember that a brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the front of the altar and first go be reconciled to them, then come offer your gift. Why? Because you can't be right with me if you've knowingly hurt them, mistreated them, unloved them. You gotta make that right so this can be right. So just leave your gift at the altar, stop your worship, and go home and get things right. Then come back. Jesus, that doesn't sound easier. You're right. It sounds harder, Jesus. Mm, you're right. 
And Jesus would say, but it's better. He goes on, he says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And all the men were sitting there. And he was talking to women too, sister. Well, he was. And all the men sitting there that day thinking, what? I, I, just, I, I just thought I had to stay out of bed. Now you're telling me. I mean, let's just get on. Man, how many of you are already this? I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesus, this is not easier. This is so much harder. Ah, oh, he said, but you get a hold of your heart. You stop fixating, you stop fantasizing, you stop chasing down that thing. You stop, you know, thinking about it and holding on to it. If you can get away from that, if you can learn to control that, if you can learn to manage through that, it may be harder, but it's better. And he says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. It'd be better. Listen to what Jesus said. It would be better to go through life without an eye and without a hand than to go to hell with both an eye and both hand intact. Jesus could not launch a television ministry with a sermon like this. I don't care how good his hair was. It wouldn't matter. Easier? No. Harder? Yes. Better? Absolutely. You have heard that it was said, and you're like, oh my God, here he goes again. We've heard it said. We've heard it said. What are you going to tell us now? You've heard eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Well, that's American. That's just good sense. First century Jewish religion, they embraced the idea of equitable response, eye for an eye, an ethic that said, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. You take mine, I'm going to take yours. You cheat me, I'm going to cheat you. You cut off my arm, I'm cutting off your arm. You kill my kid, I'm killing your kid. If you decide to be my enemy, you just better buck up, buttercup, because it's coming your way. See, an eye for an eye, that idea ensured that the one who had done wrong would pay for the wrong that they had done. That was eye for an eye, but then Jesus shows up. And he offers something entirely different. He taught the scriptures from an understanding that the religious establishment of his day were not able to grasp. He understood the intent behind the law in a way that no one ever had because he was the lawgiver. He says, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. He's not talking about self-defense. He's talking about revenge. And it becomes clear in the context. He says, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And it's like, no, I don't think I will. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hey, give them your coat as well. Jesus, this is not a way to build a crowd. Oh, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. And this is a reference to a law that existed in Palestine that if a Roman soldier occupying force, the enemy, the one who's robbing you of freedom, and liberty and the pursuit of happiness. If they ask you to carry their gear for one mile, you had to, by law, carry it. But Jesus said, I'm gonna tell you, when that soldier walks up to you and asks you to carry their gear, you carry it for one mile because that's what the law requires. But I'm gonna tell you, go ahead and carry it too because that's what love requires. Easier? Hmm. Harder, hmm. better, absolutely.
He goes on, he says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. <laughs> I got that one. Thank you. Finally, part of the sermon we feel good about. That's the easy part. But I tell you, love your enemies. What? What did he say? Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be the children of your father in heaven. If you love those who love you, that's easy. That's easier. What reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, people who look like you, talk like you, agree with you, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? It's easy to love those who love you back. It's easy to greet those who look like you, sound like you, believe like you. The test is, what are you gonna do about the person who grates on your nerves? Hey, you Republican Christians, how are you gonna treat that Democrat? How are you gonna feel about them in your heart? Hey, you Democrats, how are you gonna feel about Republicans? And you independents, I mean, you're in the word, you're right in the middle. How are you gonna feel about everybody around you? He says, if we just love people we agree with, if we're just nice, if we're just courteous, if we're just compassionate and just loving towards people that are just like us, he says, that's the easy thing to do. But loving your enemies, that's the harder thing to do. And when you learn to love your enemy, you're learning to love like God. He says, be perfect, therefore. Not really perfect in the sense you never mess up, but to reflect your heavenly father. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. When you love your enemy, you're reflecting the love of your heavenly father. But they misunderstood God, maybe like some of you. They, they thought that God was all about keeping score and evening the score. But Jesus said, no, it's a new day. No longer eye for an eye. If you follow me, it's grace for ungrace. It's right for wrong. It's help to those who harmed you. And it's praying for those who have given you pain. Easier? Are you kidding? Harder? Sure. But Jesus would say, better. Eye for an eye seems intuitive, seems natural, comes easy. But Jesus said, there's a different way. It's a better way. But I'm not going to lie to you. It's a harder way. To love, to forgive, to give grace. I mean, that's what he taught us to pray. He said, and forgive us our debts. He said, when you pray, pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. For if you forgive other people, Jesus said, when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. It's like, oh, really? I hope that's not true. Because he put at the heart of our faith the two most important relationships, and they're the same. Our relationship to God and our relationship to everybody else. Jesus said, it's easier just to worry about your relationship with God. But if your relationship with everybody else is equal, and just as important as your relationship with God, that becomes much, much, much harder. And then he sums it all up and he says, so in everything, everybody say everything. everything. What's that mean? Well, being the Greek scholar that I am, it means everything. I'm not. In everything, do to others what you would have them do for you. And this sums up the law and the prophets. He said, this is my message. This is the message. And can you imagine if Jesus followers practiced just this? Jesus would tease this out through the remainder of his ministry, and we'll talk about it in weeks to come. But he says, ultimately, if you want to be okay with God, you gotta make sure that things are okay with everybody around you. If you're gonna say you love God, you gotta love your neighbor. That's what you gotta do. 
And Jesus would tease this out for the rest of his ministry, that loving God and loving people are the most important things. His idea is this, that God loves each one of you, so each one of you are to love each other. Easier? Now, just try it. Harder? Like I said, just try it. Better? Absolutely. So Jesus would say, stop judging each other so harshly. Stop being so short with each other. Stop, stop unloving each other. Stop refusing to forgive each other. And just live as citizens of the kingdom and understand that sometimes I will teach you to do things that are hard for you because they are the best things for you. And that's what we all gotta understand. Jesus sometimes teaches us to do things that are hard for us because they are the things that are best for us. And Jesus never held any punches. That's what, I, it's what you have to respect about Jesus. He didn't try to sell a false bill of goods. Jesus would give this invitation and it was about as clear as it could be. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, following easier harder better deny self because you are your biggest problem and I am my biggest problem learn to deny yourself take up your cross and everybody knew what a cross meant it meant death it meant the end of something and he says follow me take your cues from me See, Jesus offers us a new life. It isn't always easier, but it is always better. And just like for Jesus, cross and resurrection go together. When you take up your cross, it may not be easier. It may be harder, but it is better because resurrection always begins with a cross. And for Jesus, without a cross, there would be no resurrection. And without a resurrection, we wouldn't even be talking about a cross. But when you take up your cross, part of you and part of me dies, but a new part of us comes to life. That's why Paul said, anyone who belongs to Christ becomes a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. Not one that's easier, sometimes one that's harder, but one that's always better. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. Maybe you're here today and you say, that just seems impossible. That's part of Jesus's point. He gave us an absolute ideal. He said, this is the absolute truth of how the kingdom is supposed to look. But when you fall short of absolute truth, what you're gonna find is nothing but absolute grace. Maybe you're here today and you've never followed Jesus. You've never made a decision to follow Jesus. And today may be the best day to do just that because Jesus couldn't be clearer. He didn't come to make your life easier. And sometimes it will feel harder, but he promises every single one of us, it will be better. And maybe you just by faith, just whisper a prayer. You don't have to whisper it out loud, but just pray a prayer like this. Dear Lord Jesus, right now in this moment, I just wanna say thank you for inviting me to follow you. You know that I fall short 
of the standard. But you've also promised that there's grace when I fall short. Thank you for dying for me, taking my sin, and for your resurrection, which gives me the potential for new life. So in this moment, I receive you as my Savior, my Lord. Sit upon the throne of my life as I follow you as a citizen of your kingdom. In Jesus' name.